Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode two of Towards a Repair Society, a podcast series covering Dr. Peter Erdi and Dr. Zusha Smitelsky's new book, Repair. Today, we're talking about two concepts. First, the idea of the golden age, an era that probably never existed. And second, general mechanisms for why things go wrong at all scales. Here's Professor Peter Erdi again. Tell us, what is this concept of the golden age? Why is it important to think about? Thank you, Joshua. I'm here, Peter Erdi, uh, this time from Budapest. Last time when you recorded, I was in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I have a dual life. <clears throat> so golden age, that is a mythical area when everyone lived in harmony, stability, and prosperity. So we use this term harmony, which means that conditions when people had more or less similar views about things, or at least views they don't lead to massive, sustained conflict with other people and not even with their communities. And we people often have an unconscious instinct and conscious ideas that once in the past there was a perfect state of existence, both in our individual and own life, and also collectively for a country or the social groups, so in the, hist in the life histories of individuals. And so some kind of paradise, a period of true paradise goes back to our childhood individually. For many of us, it seems that elementary school was a golden age of childhood. I played soccer each day, as I already told probably another time. And uh, so we had some mythical utopian past and the combined effect of individual and historical memory leaves many of us feeling that there is always something to repair or improve in our lives. This book about repair in their various dimensions. So as a result, we often desire to return to an earlier state, which may or may not have existed, may not have existed. We still we like to believe it, it did. It's good to know about the past ideas because it can help us to plan our future actions, but we don't have to be, we don't have to live purely in the past. So nostalgia has a positive and negative uh, dimensions as well. Jojo, how do you feel on it? Mm, yes, I see what you're talking about. Um, I think modern civilization definitely has this rhetoric too, as with Donald Trump's campaign claiming to <clears throat> make America great again. I think he appealed to that sense of nostalgia you talked about, which is a tendency to yearn for the past. How much would you say that feeling uh, plays a role today? <clears throat> so I cannot deny nostalgia is certainly a driving force behind the concept of the golden age. Well, it can be a good thing when it's motivating us to remake things and to repair, but it, but it, it can also be counterproductive. Uh, I like very much the movie of Woody Allen's uh, of Midnight in Paris. I'm sure many of you uh, remember. So the main character, Jill Pender, an aspiring novelist, feels that the source of his unhappiness is that he lives now and not in, that, in Paris in the 1920s. Somehow that's a movie. He managed to go back that time. So uh, he, he meets very famous people there, 
who lived there from uh, Hemingway to, to Porter. And so this time travel uh, back to the 1920s was very interesting for him. He managed to meet these artistic celebrities, but he told that these people are also not happy. They believe, oh no, unfortunately we live in the 1920s. How would how good would be to go back to the late 1980s, which called the Bell Epoch. So that was the time uh, of the impressionist. So somehow they go went back and these people were also unhappy. Ah, the Renaissance was a real life. The film didn't show that maybe people in the Renaissance thought that they should go back to the ancient Greek period. So nostalgia appears when people struggling to cope with the present. And we like to believe, oh, yes, the past, that were the real times. Mm, I see. So what you're saying is that people in societies have this tendency to glorify or romanticize the past, but the past might not be all it's made out to be. I guess if we use that desire for a, a better world to improve the world, it's a good thing. But if we try to revert the conditions of the world, chasing after the past, things don't necessarily get better. But there might be periods in the past that like, might there be periods in the past that are actually better than the parent, better than the present? Even if history never got golden, it must have had its ups and downs. Yes, it has. And there are some, I believe there are some general patterns for how and why some of the better periods ended. Uh, in the book, we discussed epidemics, which happened several times, which was an uh, initial uh, seed for of, of uh, when the whole society declined, it occasioned too much growth. But we don't have time to discuss it here, so I, I, I leave it for the book. Apologies. Yeah, good plan. So let's move on to our next question then. Why do things go wrong? As always in this book, you address this question on the object level, the person level, and the social levels, saying that we must mm -hmm. likely, we most likely live in an irreversible world. What does this mean on the object level? That seems most straightforward to start with. Uh, so I started my career with, with, with the theory of irreversible thermodynamics and irreversible damage is, is, is with us. So natural processes, I like to say natural macroscopic processes have directions or, or arrow of time. Soup cools down because the heat slowly dissipates into the environment. It's not bad when if you have a fruit soup, but it's it's not good if your, your soup is a goulash soup. Milk turns sour, fruits and vegetables rot. Sometimes we don't see the coming of these irreversible patterns. And famously, there are there was a there are a number of reports on spontaneous glass breakage with windows in high-rise building busting in Toronto and Chicago. And I, should, I think, Giorgio, you showed an example which happened also in New Zealand. And in fact, the cause is there, but it worked as a gradual, invisible, small level. So it just emerged suddenly. Yeah. So that's the object level. Uh, what about the individual level? Uh, one example that we see everywhere in the students, oh, Dr. Erdi, I burned out. And which now looks like a global problem. And people feel burnout when their internal resources have been exhausted. And, uh, and so uh, 
several decades ago, people worked because their supervisor uh, forced them. Now there is an internal motivation. Oh, if I don't do, I will lose something. And it leads to some, to, to a reduced professional activity. And it's just too general. And, and, and hopefully society will do something with it. We cannot leave it that way. Mm, I see what you're saying. So I guess when you feel burned out, you've run out of this, you've run out of this internal resource and then you are kind of needing to work more still so that burns out more of your internal resource and it becomes difficult to stop the cycle. Um, but what about at a societal level? Jojo, uh, we cannot deny and we see that this type of breakage and collapse can happen at the, at the societal level. And there is a field with somewhat strange name, collapsology, an old new field dealing with the scientific forecast. Uh, how this global societal uh, catastrophes happen? Mm. And so that's a slightly older field, I think, focusing on the ecological side of societal collapse. And more recently, I think there's been a study of existential risk, which is more looking at um, irreversible collapses that humanity can't recover from, uh, usually caused by technology that we are just beginning to develop. So both recoverable collapses we call catastrophic, uh, catastrophic risks, and both catastrophic risks that you talk about and existential risks that I just mentioned likely stem from the same places. So why do these kinds of collapse happen? <clears throat> Jojo, one of the uh, most important class I'm teaching is cognitive science, and the main concept is problem solving. So I also believe that human societies are problem solving organizations. So occasionally there is a conflict between the interests of the decision making elites in the short run and the long term interests of the society as a whole. So then the problem solving just simply fails. So when a society as a whole, does not have the cognitive capacity to provide an appropriate response in critical situations, I don't see mass, but it collapse might happen. And as concerns societal disasters, we should be prepared for the worst case scenario. By and large, many of us intuitively feel that the short-term thinking of the majority of politicians there are elections generally in each four years, uh, makes long-term planning impossible. Long-term planning, we should realize it's a must. So the myopic perspective may easily lead to catastrophic or existential risk. And I learned about, I learned from you that there is a, some difference between the two expressions. Mm. Yeah, so I guess if the government finds it a little bit difficult to plan so long-term, uh, we either have to put those systems into place in government or to um, have other people in society responsible for watching out for those worst case scenarios. So thankfully, we haven't faced any existential collapses yet, seeing as we're still around. But what are some examples of catastrophic events? Jojo, I, I grew up behind the Iron Curtain, if you know what I mean. So the textbook example of catastrophic event due to the lack of the problem-solving ability of a society is nothing else than the collapse of the former Soviet Union. 
And uh, there are other examples of extreme events, both in nature and society, such as earthquakes, landslides, wildfires, stock market crashes, the destruction of very tall buildings, and so on. Engineering failures, epidemics, as, as we see now. Uh, so uh, the book elaborates a number of examples and helps to understand and how we are able to control the seemingly uncontrollable events. Of course, I know that I'm speaking, I'm using a paradoxical language. Yeah. Yeah. So catastrophes of that nature you just mentioned aren't very common. So they must have some kind of control system going on. Can you tell us more about any of those? Uh, Jojo, the main concept that we have and grew up from cybernetics is feedback. Feedback is a process whereby some proportion of the output signal of any system is somehow uh, fed back to the input. And we have negative and positive feedback loops. Negative feedbacks imply stabilization and positive feedback helps to amplify the, uh, the initially small differences. And so we end, and nature and society is full with, with uh, huge loops, negative uh, and positive feedback loops. And so the textbook example of negative feedback is the thermostat, which ensures the temperature of a room shows only minor deviation around the desired value. And positive feedback, which increases the deviation from an initial state. So it has a destabilizing effect. I cannot go into the details, but I would like to mention one thing. Uncompensated positive feedback, that it leads to a, this a general mechanism behind phenomena uh, of, of extreme events, from epilepsy to earthquakes and stock market crashes and hyperinflation, political instabilities. <coughs> we need negative feedback stabilizing effects. Apologies. Mm. <coughs> so we think, oh, are you okay there? Um, yeah, we've seen how these positive and negative feedback loops can create instability and also create stability <coughs> uh, on an object level with the thermostat and then also on a large natural scale as with earthquakes. Uh, but how might they apply to our personal or interpersonal lives? Yeah, that I learned from Zuzha. Thank you, Zuzha. That these are patterns in damage relationships. We should know about the importance somehow of stabilizing initially slightly troubled relationships. You have also two. And while it is possible, it's also essential to know, gosh, it's over. So when it's the best to let it go, and Zuzha gave us a number of examples, and you can uh, read it in the book. If you ever feel physically or psychologically threatened, these are absolute red flags that you should not ignore. So go out. Relationship can be saved only if both partners are willing to work on rescuing the relationship. Yeah. It's interesting how these concepts of feedback, originally coming from control theory, can end up supporting common sense ideas. So thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing what you knew about the golden age and how we look back upon the past. Uh, unfortunately, it's also all we have time for today. 
and we'll have to pick up on the next episode of this series of podcasts as we keep moving through the book. Thanks for your time. Thank you. I enjoyed very much the conversation with you and we will have at least one or maybe two sessions. Thank you. Yeah, see you next time.